Welcome everyone to the CEO.digital show. My name is Craig McCartney and I'll be your host that's going to guide you through an open exploration of technologies and trends straight from the C-suite. You'll hear insights will help you better deliver results for your company and its stakeholders. We'll be interviewing a range of C-suite executives, those that are creating technology to those that are implementing it to support their businesses. Find out more and stay up to date at ceo.digital. And don't forget to like and subscribe to the show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Today's guest is David James Roll, Security Risk and Crisis Management Advisor at Dataminer. David is a highly respected security professional and former British Army officer with over 20 years experience delivering global operations and defining policy. Following a 14-year military career in which David saw service in Northern Ireland, Iraq and Afghanistan, as well as a training facility in Sandhurst training future officers at the Royal Military Academy, David then moved into the corporate security industry. In that capacity, David has led teams across a range of businesses, everything including manufacturing, supply chain, financial services, real estate, and even fine art. He has dealt with anti-terrorism, loss prevention, and like many security leaders during the pandemic, he was heavily involved in supporting his business as well as his clients as well. He now advises businesses on operationalizing the data miner platform David, welcome to the CEO.digital show. It's great to have you here. Thank you very much, Craig. It's good to be here. And of course, I've given you a wonderful introduction. And the goal of that is to unpack that a little bit more. So I think let's talk about present day. You're working at Dataminer. But let's talk about your career in general. How's it gone? Any interesting stories that's led you to this particular time in your life? So, as you said in the intro, so I'm a former army officer. I spent 14 years in the British Army through that period of sort of late 90s through to the early 2010s. It was that period of tail end of Northern Ireland, Afghanistan, Iraq. So that sort of 10-year period of quite a busy period for the British militaries around the world, really. Quite intense. And I think there comes a point in your military career, a lot of people stay in the military for a long time. Of course they do. But for many of us, there comes a point where you're lifestyle changes, your priorities change. And so you make that decision to leave. And mine happened in 2011. It coincided with the British Army getting smaller, what they were calling SDSR. And the British infantry in particular was was getting much smaller. So I took the opportunity to accept redundancy from the army and then suddenly had to make that decision as to what I do next, you know. And I think that's really sort of where I decided to get into corporate security. You know, I spoke to a lot of people about my time in the army and what I'd done, you know, what the corporate security world was like. And really, the two are quite similar. There's a term that we use in the army called force protection, which is the protection of our people and our assets so that we can go about our business and deliver what we need to deliver. And if you think about the corporate security world, every organization needs to protect its people, it needs to protect its assets. And there are other things that need to be protected as well, like your networks and reputation and, and various other bits and pieces. And so you'll find, and I'm sure many of your listeners are, there are lots of ex-military and ex-police in the corporate security world. You know, it's a fairly straightforward transition. So that's sort of how I ended up doing what I do. And I've led corporate security teams in a number of organizations across a number of industries, quite quite a diverse background, really. So from 
high value manufacturing, financial services, real estate, a fair amount of consulting thrown in there as well. And now I find myself at Dataminer, which really brings together all of that experience. And I'm now sharing that experience with security leaders as to how they can best utilize Dataminer in their operations, You know how they can mature and improve their own operations almost as a sort of independent consultancy, really. And so it's really quite a valuable thing. And I think probably, if I'm honest, and I would say this, wouldn't I, because I'm employed by them, but it's probably one of the highlights of my career because now what I'm doing is essentially helping them to utilize a platform, a software tool that genuinely benefits their business and genuinely helps their people and protects their assets. So you can see a really tangible benefit for using this platform. So that's kind of how I ended up where I am now and and on this podcast with you. Great. I mean, that was a quick overview, I'm sure. Lots of stuff in between some of those stories. So talking about data miner and your current role and how you're helping your clients, you touched on it there briefly, but you know, this is an opportunity to talk a little bit about data miner. So can you just give us a quick overview on what data miner do and how you are helping your clients? Yeah, sure. So data miner in the corporate world, the data miner pulse platform is the platform that we sell to clients. And it's a real-time alerting platform. So essentially, it draws in all of that publicly available data that's available in the public domain. Currently, it's 500,000 sources, individual sources. And I know your clients will think of data miner and Twitter as and, and that relationship. And we do have a relationship with Twitter. But Twitter is one source, one of those 500,000 sources. So there is a huge amount of information that's publicly available out there, whether it's a Twitter feed, whether it's a social media feed of some description, whether it's a camera, some traffic camera somewhere, whether it's imagery, whether it's voice recordings, you know, public podcasts, anything that's publicly available can be brought into the data mine. And the way that's then used is to allow businesses to mitigate risk. So if you think about an event that occurs, think about the extreme weather that's going on in in North America at the moment. An extreme weather event will cause all sorts of disruption to businesses. You know, people may not be able to get into work, you know, distribution lines, supply lines might be disrupted, whatever it may be. The purpose of a security risk function or a business continuity function or part of normal business operations is to minimize disruption to business as much as possible. So if you can identify those risks and those events that are going to cause disruption to your business as early as possible, then that will allow you to put your mitigation measures in place. It will allow you to initiate contingency plans. It may invoke work from home protocols, whatever your business continuity resiliency plans looks like. But the key to business continuity and resiliency and security in a nutshell is knowing what's going on. And so what do I do? So I I sit in a small group, a small team called the Corporate Solutions Practice. There's three of us and we are security professionals. We have sat where your listeners are sitting. We've led security teams across a range of industries. And we've also been clients of Dataminer. We've used Dataminer in our security and resiliency operations in the past. So as security professionals, we understand the risks that security professionals and organizations face. And as prior users of Dataminer, prior clients of Dataminer, we know the value that Dataminer can bring to our security operations. So we can advise through the sort of sales process, through the sort of onboarding process of of a potential client. And indeed, with our current clients, with our existing clients, we can advise on the best utility of data miner, how they can implement it in their business operations. You know, security teams tend to be quite small. And so 
how best to utilize that platform across a limited number of resources, who can use it, how they can use it, how you can adjust the filters so you get the right information. You know, we'll talk a little bit later about the utility information and how you can manage almost an information overload. Well, we can do that within the platform to make sure that you're getting the right information and that your teams can then use that information in the most effective way. And then with current clients, our existing clients, once they've been onboarded, like I said earlier, we, we can act as almost sort of an independent consultancy sounding board so that they can use us so they can develop their own security functions in the best way. So if they've got some ideas, if they think data miner might be useful, or if they're thinking of building out certain functions or developing their functions, we can support them through their maturity journey and make sure that they are going in the right direction. And you use, there's a bit of AI as well that helps to gather some of that information. Yeah, absolutely. So the platform is, is an AI platform. And I, I will add, there are also humans in the loop. So it's not a completely AI-driven platform. There are people that make sure that the information is, is accurate and correct and is verifiable. So all of that information is drawn into the platform. And then the AI uses that information, picks up the information, and then turns it into the data that you as a client then use. And I'll give you an example. One of our clients in Canada had some information fed into their platform, into their security operating center that basically told them there was a wildfire event happening near one of their buildings. Now, that information came from multiple sources. It came from photographs on social media. It came from traffic cameras. It came from emergency services um, responders. So it's a combination of imagery, it's a combination of language, it's a combination of stills, photographs taken from traffic cameras. The AI platform is then able to pick up the information from those various feeds, correlate it all together, take imagery of signs, for example, images on the back of a fire wagon, images from a fast food outlet, you know, and correlate all of those together. And then the AI does the job of saying, well, this comes from there. That image comes from there. That image on the back of that fire wagon means that it comes from there. And it can correlate that down into a single feed that says, this is where that wildfire is happening. And it's in close proximity to that building just there. So it's an incredibly powerful tool. And it's taking, you know, it takes multiple languages, multiple imagery, multiple sources, and generates that down into the feeds that you can then use to make your decisions and invoke your contingency plans if that's what you need to do. You mentioned wildfires, you mentioned extreme weather. What are the other elements keeping your clients up at night from uh, you know all these risks that a, a business could face, physical, cyber? I mean, this is all, is it all linked? Yeah, it is, it is linked. I think what's changing is the joined up nature of these risks and the blurring of the lines. And you mentioned cyber there, the blurring of the lines between the physical world and the cyber world, the joined up nature of security as a whole, not just in the physical security world. If you think about, you know, the protection of people and buildings, you know, traditional physical protection, but actually that physical protection then extends into things like supply chains, things like distribution networks, things like normal business operations, the risks that businesses face the vectors for those risks can come from all sorts of directions. So you mentioned you know, wildfires, extreme weather events, political disruption, what's going on in Brazil at the moment, what's gone on in, in Sri Lanka in the past, and of course, Ukraine, of course, in, in the headlines as well. Any political instability that is going dis to disrupt supply chains and distribution networks, all of those 
have an effect on business operations. And knowing about those early can allow those businesses then to invoke contingency plans, whether it's alternative supply routes, whether it's temporarily halting operations in a particular factory, moving operations to another factory, whatever your contingency planning looks like, you need to know about that stuff first off. So I suppose what, what so back to the question, which is what's keeping clients awake at the moment? One of the things we're hearing, which I find quite interesting is, is the increase in crime as a result of the economic downturn and people behaving in ways that they perhaps wouldn't have behaved should this economic downturn not have happened. You know, so we're seeing an increase in we see Extinction Rebellion, for example, in London at the Yellow Fest protests in, in Paris. You know, those kinds of activities are certainly, I think, becoming more common. And more and more people had the economic downturn and the environmental issues not be such an issue. Perhaps some people wouldn't take part in those uh, those kinds of activities. So it's drawing more attention. So more people are involved in those sorts of things. Um, there's a lot of increase in digital crime and online crime. I heard from one client the other day about returns, scams, online fraud. So, you know, returning items that you either haven't received in inverted commas or sending back stuff that isn't being sent back, all sorts of things. And, you know, online forums where that information is shared and people are signing up to those forums or joining those forums who perhaps wouldn't have joined those forums, you know, a few years ago if the economic situation wasn't quite as bad as it is for some. So crime seems to be on the increase as a result of the economic downturn. Distribution and supply chain is definitely a feature. You know, distribution, disruption, supply chain disruption, closure of ports, closure of airports, strikes which result in closure of distribution networks. That has a direct impact on a company's ability and organization's ability to move things from one place to another. And so, again, you know, knowing about that, either as it's happening or ideally before it happens in the sort of build-up, you can then start making plans about that. And I think the other big one is, and I mentioned it just a second ago, is the blurring of the lines between physical and cyber. The fact that if physical assets can be disrupted through cyber attack and the concept that we in the physical security world, not just the physical security world, actually all of us in our, in our daily operations and our business operations are using devices and systems and operating platforms that can be disrupted by cyber attack, which has a knock-on effect on business operations in our physical world, that's a huge vulnerability. You know, if you think about, if you take any manufacturing organization, you know, a hypothetical sportswear manufacturer, let's say, they are utterly reliant on operating systems to make sure that production is going properly and what goes in at the start comes out at the end and everything in between and it goes to the right people and it's being paid for correctly and the component parts are going into as it should. Any disruption to that is going to cause disruption to business operations. There will be client payment mechanisms, there will be client information in those same networks that those operating systems are networked to. So if an attack vector is through the operating system, then that then exposes the rest of the network to further attack. My background predominantly is, is the physical security world. And, and even in the physical security world, we're using devices, you know, IoT devices, which historically would have been separate from our network. You know, the term CCTV, closed circuit television, it was 10 years ago, a closed circuit. You had cables joining one camera to another and going back to a recording device. Those devices are no longer closed circuit. None of it is. It's all networked. It's on the same network. So access through those devices into that network exposes the business to risk. And we as physical security 
leaders or indeed, you know, our facilities management teams, our building operations teams, we all use devices and systems to run our businesses. And all of them are at risk from cyber attack. And we need to understand that so that we can work with the cyber teams or we can work ourselves and just put some basic measures in place to minimize the risk to our business. I was chatting to a gentleman called Rob who runs a company called Phalanx Cyber. And he says one of the easiest ways to hack is to gain physical access to a building. And then obviously, once you're inside, you can then cause all sorts of havoc. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and that, you know, how do you gain access to a building? Well, there are some fairly well-documented examples of criminals posing as engineers, gaining access to buildings and then planting devices into software or into computers in the buildings or into you know, the building management system. There's a very well-documented example of that happening to a big high street bank in the UK a few years ago of criminal gangs posing as engineers planting keystroke loggers into bank branches so they would then be able to access the network. You know, it's very easy to go online and find default passwords for IoT devices. All of the security cameras that companies put into their buildings all come with a default password. And unless you change that default password, you're exposing yourself to risk. And to find that default password is very easy. And it's the same with any other device. You know, you think about any organization, you walk into any head office anywhere in the world of any organization, there'll be smartphones, there'll be smart TVs, there'll be a TV with a camera in the CEO's office, there'll be vending machines, there's probably spider phones on desks somewhere. You know, there are devices everywhere that are networked to that same network. And if you can gain access to those, then you've got free run of the place. I think one of the easiest ways to gain access to a building is, I think, just take a ladder and maybe like a high-vis jacket and I'll probably just <laughs> usher you in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Who, who questions the guy in the high-vis yeah. jacket? So let's talk a little bit about the security landscape. We've touched on it, but I'm quite interested to know your thoughts since leaving the army, getting involved in this industry. Has it changed much over the, the last few years? And what are the sort of trends and patterns you're seeing right now? I think it has changed. Yeah. So I left the army in 2011. It was changing even back then. I think the big thing is, as we were just talking about, is this blurring of the lines between the physical and, and the security world. And there's a lot of terminology around converged risk and you know, converged security. And yes, of course, that's a term and it's, it's very important. I think when we talk about convergence, I think we need to definitely talk about that blurring of physical and cyber. But I think we also need to think about converged risk as, or converged security as enterprise-wide security. You know, I mentioned business operations and building management systems, operating systems. I think security professionals, security leaders need to think, and, and businesses as a whole need to think of security, not in siloed stovepipes any longer. And it certainly was when I left the military 11, 12 years ago. There was still very much that sort of siloed approach to things. That is definitely changing. And I think it needs to be, needs to continue to change. I don't think we're anywhere near where we need to be at the moment. And so think of security as, I always say, you know, think of security as a team game. It's not just the physical security team or the cyber security team who are going to protect this business from the various risks out. It's the behaviors of the organization as a whole that is going to mitigate risk across the board. And that risk will affect and can affect anybody. It might be physical security risk. It might be the physical you know, 
protection. It might be the physical prevention of people gaining access to buildings. You know, it might be instructing people not to download or you know what the latest phishing email looks like. But it's the behaviours of individuals. And I read something just a couple of days ago that education on not downloading phishing emails is not working. There has to be a different approach to things. So, and as we just said, who questions the guy in the high-vis jacket who's fixing the light bulbs in the building? I would encourage everybody out there to encourage your organizations to have that challenge approach. You know, if it doesn't look right or you think something isn't quite right, then challenge it. Make sure that guy in the high-vis jacket has a security pass, is where he should be. You know, make sure that people are aware of what they should and shouldn't be downloading. What does a scam email look like? What does a phishing email look like? And actually, what's the effect of downloading that email? I think in our personal lives, and I'm sure we all know somebody who's downloaded an email they shouldn't have done. From a personal perspective, if that happens to you, it's a very real thing. And you learn very quickly what that feels like. And you're probably not never going to do it again. You'd be very, very suspicious. But I think in business terms, what does it mean to the business if I click on that link accidentally? Or, you know, I am expecting a delivery and that delivery is late and I get an email that says, track your delivery here, but actually that's the phishing email and you click on that. What does that do? I think we've got to take it to the next stage and say, look, don't just not do this, but if you do, this is the knock-on effect and this is how it's going to impact business and the potential that doing whatever the, you know, whatever it is has on the, on the business. Let's talk about enterprises. You mentioned enterprises and how are they predicting and responding to threats nowadays? Say if they if they weren't using data miner, well, I guess the you know the object is to do that. But yeah, how would they normally predict and respond to these threats without some sort of early detection? It's really tough. It's really tough, and I think the use of technology is absolutely where this is prime ground for the use of technology. Think back to. You know, military days a few years ago, and it's still, you know, you still sometimes need people out there to verify stuff. But you think about the way information in military circles is gathered. We used to employ people to go behind enemy lines and go and set up long term observation posts and what have you. And we used to send people out to do that sort of stuff and then send information back. And gradually, technology has taken over. You know, and I think technology has a massive part to play in this. Otherwise, it's an enormously human intensive process. And as a human intensive process, you, know, you can never have enough people doing this, scanning social media platforms, scanning search engines, providing or trying to get the latest information from contacts they might have in police forces or militaries or you know, whatever that might be. Intelligence teams intelligence analysts. The purpose of a security function is, is to protect the business, is to identify and mitigate against risk. How do you identify risk in the first place? You know, you've got to get out there, however that may look, and find out what's going on. And if you've, if you've got a finite resource of people, how do you know you're looking in the right place? How do you know that's the right thing to be looking at at that particular time? And so, you know, I think the move towards a technology is definitely the way to go. You know, data miner does that for you. You know, how many people would you need in order to search 500,000 information sources? You know, and how would you then filter that information down into usable feeds that you can then make decisions on? You know, how do you know it's accurate? How do you know it's real time? How do you know it's not delayed? How do you know it's coming from the right places? Unless you use technology, it's an incredibly 
human intense intensive activity so i think the only option is technology and unfortunately technology is advancing in such a way and anybody on this call wants to see a demo of the platform they'll see that technology can do amazing things and filter that information down so that you can use it in a meaningful way yeah security is becoming so important it has to be part of your strategic goals from the board level down and there's so much at risk there's so much uncertainty that you wonder how from your perspective are CISOs or CSOs are they looking at platforms like this after something bad has happened or has their viewpoint changed where they're just trying to get in front of any potential problems what's the what's the balance there it's probably a 50-50 balance, actually. I think there are lots of very proactive security leaders out there. And I think there are two ways that they come to us. Either they realize that this is an important thing and maybe they don't have a capability or they realize there isn't, there's a gap in their capability. I think the important thing to identify, though, is that, as we mentioned before, you know, security, the sort of emerging trend of security being an enterprise-wide activity. I think we are seeing, certainly in you know, the bigger more well-established, perhaps the more regulated industries, security is becoming, getting more attention at board level and is becoming part of the enterprise risk strategy, much broader business risk strategy, which is good news. And so they're coming to us to say, look, we know we've got gaps. We know we need to do this. Can you help us? The other part of that is that, you know, we've got, of course, we've got a very active sales team. We've got our, our account executives and our sales development representatives you know phoning and getting around their contacts all the time and there's sort of a happy circumstance that we make that phone call as a chief security officer is looking at options or developing their strategy and it just so happens that we have that phone call at the right time i think sadly and unfortunately we do get those chief security officers whoever it may be head of resiliency who come to us or go to an rfp because something's happened and they recognize that there is, as a result, there is a gap in their capability. Uh, and that's how they come to us. So I think it's a whole host of things. I, I, I wouldn't be able to put a number on or a sort of percentage on where that sort of sits. But I think it's, you know, it's a goodly mix of all of those things. Yeah. And let's look at security teams and some of the challenges that they're facing in terms of gathering this real-time data and actioning it. And you mentioned there about the sort of information overload. How do they turn all this information into something meaningful from an insight perspective? You know, when will they action something or when will they, how will it help them make key decisions with regards to protecting their assets? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting challenge. It's a challenge that I think any security leader, resiliency leader, business continuity leader will have. It's about identifying risk in the first place. What really matters to you? And I think the reason security has to be part of an enterprise-wide strategy is because, and going back to that whole stovepipe thing I was talking about at the beginning, security leaders cannot develop their security strategy without knowledge of what the business wants to do. And so unless you're part of that planning process, unless you're woven into business strategy, then you're doing things in isolation. And then, you know, what value are you adding? How do you, how do you show that value? And so as part of that risk management, risk planning cycle, it's about identifying what your key risks are in the first place. You know, it's no point looking at everything and trying to mitigate against everything. Otherwise, you'll be running around with your hair on fire. You've got to sit down and go, okay, well, look, here's the things that are really going to stop the business from operating. 
And with that, of course, you know, part of risk management is about appetite and, you know, an acceptable level of risk because you can't mitigate against all things all the time. So yes, you've identified your key risks, but how much of that are you willing to accept? So that's how you then focus down on what you really need to be picking up on. You know, what feeds do I need? Where do I need to be looking? What are my real concerns? And once you could, once you can do that, we talked about humans in the loop and, and people doing that if you don't have a technology solution. You know, that's how you direct your individuals. But even those individuals might be overwhelmed with the amount of information. The great thing about the Pulse platform and technology is that can, technology can bring all of that information. If you're an organization that doesn't have operations on the East Coast of America or doesn't have distribution lines or supply lines you know, along the East Coast of America or up into Canada where there are ex- extreme weather events, discount it. You know, Take that out of your feed. Take that out of the sources that you're gathering information from. Focus in on the things that you're really, really interested in. The bomb is infinitely adjustable. So you can set it to the things that you're really interested in. And you as a chief security officer will be interested in probably a global picture of risk at a very high level across your sphere of operations. But your regional security managers or your regional directors will be interested in other things at a more detailed level. Your facilities security managers or your operations managers who might be running individual distribution hubs or individual factories will be interested in more detailed, more localized information. And the platform allows you to adjust those filters for those individual requirements. And the things that are really important can be given to you in flash notification. The things that are slightly less important can be given to you as just regular alerts. So it's infinitely adjustable. It focuses in through the machine learning and activity, focuses in on the things you've told it to focus in on because you've done your risk analysis and those are the things you want to learn about. And then it's focuses right down uh, potentially into sort of city block level into that kind of detail if you want it to. So it's doing all of that for you so that you can then say, okay, that's what I need to know about. That's really going to affect my business operations and, and my wider business strategy. Now, as a result of that, and knowing about that early and in real time, I can start putting some contingency plans in place instead of being on the back foot knowing about things only as they happen, as they affect your business, and therefore being very reactionary in your mitigation and your contingency planning. Yeah. And then how does this real-time info, how does it help companies to build resilience over time? And again, resiliency is about planning. You know, a a resiliency plan, talk about resiliency. Are we a resilient organization? The question is, okay, well, how quickly can you identify? How quickly can you respond? And then how quickly can you recover from incidents that disrupt your business operations, whatever those business operations might be? And it's great saying you can do those things, but planning is key. Practice is key so that when it all does go to the wall, you've at least got something to follow. Anybody with military or or police experience or anybody who's been involved in a crisis will know that plan is only as good until the crisis happens. But at least you've got something to follow and at least you've practiced all of those people that are involved in it. Now, the Pulse platform, why is that important? It's important for two reasons. One, because we've got historical data. So if you're trying to work out what you should be planning against, you can look into the data miner platform based on your risks, you know, what's really affecting my business and 
How frequently has that happened? Where has it happened? Which of my facilities are most at risk? And that historical data allows you to start planning against the most likely and the worst case or the worst likely courses of action. So the historical data feature is really, really important. And then when it comes to an incident, as we've talked about quite extensively already, how do you know something is happening? The only way you can do that is through having somebody there telling you or some sort of data feed that tells you something is about to happen or is happening in real time. And then you can start, instead of getting a phone call at eight o'clock in the morning from one of your factory operators to say, hey, look, the factory lights haven't turned on or the management system hasn't turned on or my, you know, my operating line isn't working properly. Okay, what do we do now? Let's sort of scrabble around. If you can see events happen prior to that, you know, if there is an extreme weather event or some sort of um, outage, whatever it may be, that's going to affect your business operations, you can see that happening before it happens and you can anticipate and therefore start planning to mitigate that event before it has a you know, meaningful impact on your business. Because for every, if you take a production line, for every half an hour, an hour, half a day that that is out of operation, that's revenue that's effective for the business. And if you can mitigate even a fraction of that, then of course that revenue is, is not badly hit. Yeah. Great. I mean, yeah, very insightful, David. Thank you. Let's move forward and look ahead to the world of security. Is there anything you feel is not getting enough attention in the world of security, both physical, cyber? Yeah, I think, I think it's still the joined up nature of security. I think it's understanding that we as security professionals, call yourself a cybersecurity professional, physical security professional, call yourself a resiliency or business continuity expert, whatever you are, we're all here to do the same thing, and that is to protect businesses and make sure that businesses are not disrupted or they're disrupted to the minim minimal effect. And we have to realize that we're all in this together and we have to join ourselves up in order to make sure that risks are mitigated in the right way. Because we've seen countless examples in the news of distribution lines, of electricity lines, you know, fuel lines, business operations of any kind being disrupted because of certain events. And that can come from any direction and it can impact any part of a business. So we need to join that up. We need to join that up as security professionals. And then I think taking that the next step further, we need to continue our quest in having senior leadership support and getting risk, security risk on the agenda of your enterprise risk as part of the much bigger enterprise risk strategy. Because if you want to try and mitigate risk, culture is driven from the top down. And if you want people to behave in a certain way, if you can get the CEO and the board behaving in certain ways, then that message very quickly filters down to all of the other employees. And it's their behavior, ultimately, that is going to help you mitigate those risks. So I think the enterprise nature of risk, we talk about converged risk, the joining up and the blurring of the lines between the various security disciplines. We need to continue to drive that forward. And I think we will see that happen this year, 2023 and beyond. So in a large enterprise, would so a CISO and a CSO, so Chief Security Officer, do they normally butt heads or is there a bit of friction between those departments? And and are you saying that these they're going to have to work a lot closer together to really deal with this sort of Yeah, I think it's really difficult to sort of paint a, a sort of generic picture. I think the more mature, the more sort of grown up approach to this is, look, let's just collaborate. You might have a CISO, you might have a CSO, but actually those two individuals, by and large, will understand actually we're here to do things in a joined up way. 
I have seen in a, in a couple of organizations where all of the security functions come together in a single vertical under one chief security officer. And that chief security officer takes responsibility for information security, cybersecurity, physical security, executive protection, business continuity. That's the culture that, I'm, that I was talking about. You know, that's driven from the top down. That is the CSO or the CISO, or indeed the chief risk officer or the chief operating officer saying, let's work together. It's all about business operations. It's all about ultimately, you know, this business, whatever this business is, making money. And if we don't join together, then internally we'll be in turmoil and that's going to affect business operations. So let's join it up. So I won't say that CISOs and and CSOs butt heads. I think we need to put individual and personality to one side, take emotion out of it completely. And let's work together both internally as a security function, but also externally with other functions within the business, because we can ultimately add value to that to the rest of the business by making sure that they stay on track as well. Great. Thank you, David. So I think we are coming to the end or approaching the end of the episode. We have covered quite a few topics. I'm sure it has been useful for our guest listeners. So I wanted to just talk a little bit about you, find out a bit more about yourself from a a personal perspective. And I got a couple of questions that we normally end every episode on. So there's a bit of consistency. So do you have any guilty technology pleasures or or anything that fits that description guilty technology nothing to do with my professional life whatsoever but i think the remote start in my car is really cool (laughs) is being able to start the car without getting in it so the heating comes on so it's all nice and warm before you get in and it's great but somebody can probably bypass that completely and probably steal my car and drive off without me realizing. But uh, that's that's quite cool. I quite like that. That's nice. I would want that actually in my car. Perfect. Do you have any sort of uh, pet peeves in the industry or any buzzwords from the security industry you think should just be binned or retired? Gosh, I don't think security is guilty of or any more guilty of buzzwords than any other business or any part, any other part of the business. And there's lots of them, but we often play buzzword bingo at, at work. They've got their place and they're all great. I think my pet peeve, I think it's quite a serious topic, but I think security industry, particularly the physical security industry, most people look like me, you know, middle-aged, middle-class white male. I think we can do more to encourage a more diverse group of people to join the security industry. You know, we have to, yes, it's a, like I said at the very beginning, you know, it's a comfortable place to be and come into if you're ex-military or ex-police. And those organizations are changing their diversity profile and attracting a more diverse group of people into those organizations. And so slowly that will filter through. But I think we as security need to rely less on that as our source of employment. And we need to look at all sorts of people across the full range of society because, and I know it's a slightly cliched thing to say, but, and I know it's said quite regularly, but without you know, diverse group of people as your employees, then you don't get a diversity of thought and you don't get you don't get that sort of challenge that, that we need. And we all think the same way and we all look the same way and we all behave in the same way. So I think we can do much more in that respect. You know, I think we can target graduates. I think we can target going to schools, going to universities, you know, encourage people because it is becoming a more important employment activity. You know, it's becoming far more, security is far more important now for businesses. And we talked about the joined up nature of it. Security is very much becoming a business enabler and making sure that businesses stay on track. So we need 
a very diverse group of people to keep us sane, basically, and doing the right thing. Yeah, agreed. Um, so, yeah, I think it's an important topic to cover, so I'm glad we have. Let's talk about how your friends and your family and your how do they describe what you do? Do they know what you do? Do you know? Yeah, they, they don't. My wife doesn't know what I do at all. Will she listen to this podcast? She might do, actually. I might get her to listen to the podcast. Yeah, exactly. One of our friends asked me if I was a kind of a James Bond. So I think there's this sort of perception that we're here to look after people. But yeah, I think it's quite a straightforward thing to describe that, you know, we are here to mitigate risk. We're here to identify and then manage that risk and make sure that businesses are not disrupted as much as they could be without that function in place. And so, yeah, explaining that is is quite straightforward, I think. But the range of you know, your listeners will be across a, a vast array of organizations and businesses. And quite how that affects businesses is, is a slightly longer discussion to have with people. And then let's talk about essential desk items. What have you got that you can't live without? Probably the coaster that I put my teacup on. <laughs> That's the only thing on my desk that is, that is a constant. Oh, good. I've got four on my desk right now. I don't know why I have so many, but maybe I, a lot of liquids and then any good books you've read recently or are you watching anything good on all the you know millions of streaming options we have nowadays oh gosh the, well the book I've, I've just got into is an author called nick heron people on this uh, listening to this will probably cringe but nick heron writes about and I, and I think there's a show on one of the streaming channels called slow horses and it's basically yeah it's basically about the outcasts from mi5 and the people who've done stuff wrong is it, sent is off it called this. Dead Lions? Yeah, Dead Lions, I think, is the follow-up. But yeah, the, the books that he's writing are gripping me at the moment. I'm doing those back-to-back. Oh. oh, that's good. I've just started watching that. So I should read the books first, though, because they're most likely always going to be better than the series. Yeah. Yes, yes, I think so. Okay. And then I think that was it. I think we've covered all the sort of more fun questions, although they were a couple of serious answers, which which is important. But we'll wrap it up there, David. And I just, you know, thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your insights and what you do. And, and I hope the, the listeners got some value out of it. But great to, to have you on the show. Thank you very much, Craig. Thanks for having me. And if you do like this episode, then check out the rest of our schedule. And of course, like and subscribe in, say, most places you get podcasts. We're not on everything, but I know we're on about 95% of them. So yeah, enjoy and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.